0: Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walline, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts.
1: Welcome back to Web Rush, episode 234. Today is all about the next JS and React and what we can do with that. I'm John Papa coming from beautiful, exotic Lake Como, Italy with my co-hosts Ward Bell and Craig Shoemaker. I wish I was at Lake Como in Italy, Craig and Ward. It's, it's a place I've never been and it's on my bucket list. Have you been there? I have. The closest,
0: yeah, go ahead, Ward, because the closest I've ever gotten is Epcot, so...
1: hey and
2: and although uh uh, if well what can i say it's it really is beautiful the whole lake country is spectacular up there uh but luca knows this better than i uh but you know pressed up against those mountain ranges it's just ah it's gobsmacking gorgeous and um I, I don't know. Is there, a, you know? I don't think of that as a technology hotbed in Italy, Luca. So, uh, how how is it that you're able to to do
1: things in Como? You, you, what goes on there? Let me introduce. Let me introduce. Oh Luca yeah, first. sorry. <laughs> Edit point. <laughs> no,
2: no, you don't have to cut that out, John, because that's typical me anyway, right? Like, why should we know who the guy is? Let's jump to how do I move. To Lake Como and still have a job.
1: What I took away from that award is that you like to press yourself up against mountains in Europe.
2: (sighs) I do. But then I'm I'm afraid of where that could lead, John, so be careful.
1: (laughs) Well, when you're between a rock and a hard place, sometimes you do what you have to do. So Uh uh, on that note, let me introduce our guest from the beautiful Lake Como area in Italy. I feel like I'm a game show host today. Welcome to the stage, Luca Rastaño. Luca, how are you doing? Hey, I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you here. And as you can tell, uh, there was something in the water today that Ward and I are obviously drinking, and Craig is wondering how we ever got roped into being a (laughs) co-host on this podcast, which the answer to that is, I have no idea. Neither do I. Not a clue. (laughs) I got to tell Ward something, though, Luca, that you may be aware of since you live in that area. And it's definitely on my bucket list. Ward, there is a strong Star Wars tie to Lake Como in Italy. No,
2: no, there cannot be. No, a th- very that would not strong be tie.
1: No, no. <laughs> There's a famous scene in some of the prequel movies of Star Wars that was filmed there. Luca, are, are you, uh, have you been to that spot where that scene is, is f- filmed?
3: Of course, I've been there. It's an amazing historical villa on the Lake of Como. And uh, yeah, it's very popular for I think episode two, I think, episode two or episode three. One of those uh, Star Wars episodes. Yeah it's, yeah, it's
1: beautiful. Yeah, I can't remember if it's two or three. I think it's, yeah, it's two or three. It's when they basically go there. And I think it's Padme and Anakin from Star Wars. And Ward is now shaking his head because he doesn't know why we're talking about Star Wars. But let me tell you a little bit more about Luca out there, because we haven't had Luca on the show, so let's get him a little more familiar with you all here. Luca is a software engineer with 10 years of experience with a passion for product building. He embraces two different approaches, one while working with the company as an employee and one as an indie hacker, and he is very much into agile methodologies. And we'll drop how you can reach Luca into our show notes as well, both on social media and other links we talk about today. Luca, thanks for joining us today. And I know we we had a little bit of discussion before we got on about Next.js and uh, React.js and your experience with those. Uh, tell me more. What, what's on your mind with them?
3: Yeah, so <clears throat> there are two beautiful pieces of technology. So one is React, which is a very popular and well-known um, UI library that is being created by Facebook. Uh, I think it was almost probably 10 years ago, something like that. So it's very um, present in the market for a long time um, the other one is uh, Next.js it's quite difficult to describe it um, I don't think there's a real, um, one single word to describe it I think it's a kind of platform to host a React application and that you can use to create the backend side of your application and the frontend side of your application just using one single language uh, which is you know JavaScript and TypeScript. So it's super, super powerful. And on the other side, it's on uh, serverless uh, infrastructure. So that means that you don't need to manage and maintain your uh, servers and databases and so on.
1: And you've built some applications using serverless with uh, AWS and DynamoDB. And can you tell us, I mean, first of all, for those who don't know what DynamoDB is, can you kind of explain what that is on AWS?
3: Yes, absolutely. So DynamoDB is a NoSQL database. Um, so it's a document-oriented database, uh, which is a very different pattern compared to the SQL data, relational databases, actually. Uh, one of the most known and popular of them is the SQL, um, SQL databases. There are many open source versions like MySQL, PostgreSQL, and so on, but even proprietary ones like Microsoft uh, SQL Server. Are, all of them are SQL databases and relational databases. Um, the main difference is that with relational databases, you structure your data in tables that can have uh, tables made of columns and rows, and each row can have a reference to another table, which creates, creates a, a relation. A non-SQL database on the other side is a database, which is a collection of documents. And the schema or the shape of these documents can really vary. In DynamoDB, you create your documents using a JSON structure, basically.
0: So that's a lot of different technologies that uh, you've had experience working with. And so I'm What's interesting is like you you have these two sort of different paths that that you work in, right? You have the nine to five thing, and you have your indie hacker stuff. Which one do you feel like is the place where you're doing the most uh, React uh, development with, or are you doing them on both sides of the coin? Yes, I'm doing
3: on both sides, um, definitely, um, because I, I I develop using React and TypeScript as well on my uh, nine to five job, but I I do the same while indie hacking, and the reason is very simple, is because um, uh, when you do indie hacking, so you're um you need to ship very fast products to the market and see which is the 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 feedback from the market and from the users. So a <clears throat> suggest the suggestion is to use a technology that you know very well because you need to ship very fast, right? So this is an interesting story. So, in two thousand and nineteen, I started working on a product, and it's when I decided to go for serverless infrastructure for the first time in my, my life, in my experience, and to use DynamoDB based on AWS. And I was building my first, my first product on the side of my job at that time. So my mindset was, okay, um, I'm going to start using a new technology that I don't know if the product is going to fail. At least I wouldn't have learned something new, right? <laughs> <That's>, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not the right, I, what I understood is that it's not the right way to approach any uh, hacking. Mm-hmm. So that's when I decided to, okay, let's go with uh, serverless, let's go with uh, Lambda functions from AWS, and let's try to use also DynamoDB. Something very interesting about it is the pricing model. Because with DynamoDB, um, the, the costs are very low when you don't have traffic and usage of it compared to traditional SQL databases in which you need to spin up the database, you need to have a virtual server, at that time at least, which is going to host your server. And so you're going to pay at least for the EC2 machine on AWS that is running, even if no one is using your your service. Mm-hmm. Which is, This is a very different paradigm, right?
0: Well, it, it, so, yeah, you have all these different outlets and... Since the last time we talked, I'm looking at your Twitter profile. You even launched another tool, OmniWrite.ai. <laughs> so, uh, w- with this tech stack, w- which one of these uh, r- applications are you building? And c- just give us a sense for some of the features that are involved and the, the amount of complexity that you're working into it.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. So, I've built three applications as, a, as an indie hacker using the same technological stack, which is Next.js and React on the front end. So, what you can do and what I did is that all the um, web application is made using uh, Next.js because you can you can build the backend, so all the API and the services and also the frontend in the same code base. And you can reuse a lot of the code, um, the TypeScript code that you develop on the backend, also on the frontend and so on. So one single aspect that is very interesting is that when you build an API, you create also the types of the um, request payload and the response, right? The interesting thing is that using Next.js, you can reuse the exact same types that you use on the backend, on the front end when you're going, you're going to consume the data from the API. And this is very interesting because it's everything in one single code base and you don't have to, you know, create libraries ensure that library in another project and imported and so on, so it's it's very powerful.
2: So John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks: Angular, React, Vue, or or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you?
1: Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them.
2: Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally. We're a consulting company, and, uh, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue. But they're all going to need a grid, and it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid.
1: You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice.
2: So if a multi framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag grid.com.
1: I want to pick into the, I think I'm saying this right, omniwrite.ai. Can you tell me more about what you're doing with AI, with React and Next.js? And um, what I mean specifically is not what the tool does, but how do you, how are you integrating AI APIs, for example, into your React Next.js application?
3: Yes, and to be honest, to integrate AI, and specifically in this case, OpenAI, is very, very simple because they provide you some APIs and some endpoints to call, and you just call them. And you get the response back and you put it in your you push it in your in your application. So it's very, very simple and so powerful because the AI is gonna to give <clears throat> incredible um, capabilities to to an application, a normal application.
0: But that's your API key that you're using though, right? So is there a cost associated? For you?
3: That's right. I use my own API key, so all the costs are... Um, I need to, to pay to afford all the, all the costs for OpenAI, um, the OpenAI pricing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's why I, ha- I have a subscription model on top of the service. Okay.
2: Uh, how do you um, provide... Uh, uh, um, let me... It's a two-part question. When you're wiring this AI, OpenAI into your app... Are you providing specific context to, uh, you know, a domain-specific context to sort of shape uh, the kinds of uh, responses you give?
3: Absolutely. Good good question. Specifically for the task, one of the tasks that you can accomplish with the, the application is to um, write a blog post, for instance. So, yes, even if you are specifically performing a single task, like rephrasing uh, a, um, a sentence i provide much more context about the the action you are you're going to to execute with ai uh, i don't know if it's exactly what you mean you meant with um, context
2: yeah it's kind of, it's a domain because every most people talk about uh, these sort of these chat open ai things where you just sort of ask free form and it just does whatever it does with the with all the material that it's been trained on <clears throat> but the interesting thing about wire when you wire it into a specific domain is that you 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 tell them OpenAI about your domain so that it answers questions with the with the spe- making use of the specific knowledge you provide that's domain you know that's specific to that domain. So I was wondering if that's what you're doing, and if so, how you're getting that context there.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think you're referring to what is called as the prompt. So the prompt is basically one of the commands you're sending to the AI. Specifically, for instance, if you think about chat GPT, there is a kind of history, right? Because it's a, it's a chat, so it's a sequence of messages. And one of those messages, specifically, usually the first one is the prompt, and this is the instructions that you send to the AI. And the, the most detailed uh, is this prompt, uh, the most let's say precise and mm, in context is the result you're going to get back so yes I, what i do is to refine the prompt so that the final result is uh matching with the expectations of the the task that the user is accomplishing
1: that's a good explanation
2: are you are you using a library for that or are you using a library to compose that or are you uh writing that also in just or in in some other way
3: yeah OpenAI provides um, a Node.js library that you can easily integrate in your in your project, and it's a kind of wrapper to the to the API, so you don't need to perform HTTP requests to the API, but actually just use the um, the, the the JavaScript library, which is what I'm I'm using actually. And, um, yeah, basically, the city is very simple to uh, to interact with the APIs this way.
2: So stepping back, the goal of this um, project is to, you know, like um, to, to teach developers how you could yeah. bring these things together, or are you actually providing a specific service?
3: Yeah, what I'm trying to achieve is to solve a specific problem for, for the users. Um, I'm still trying to figure out which is the exact pain point, uh, so I'm still in an exploratory phase, and uh, but the domain is to is not particularly original, but is to um, enhance and empower the the writing capabilities of users uh, in different contexts. So at the moment, I'm providing a browser extension that is gonna give you a user interface that you can interact with on every um, website, actually. and uh, and interact with the AI to generate content and then use it in the context you are um, in the specific moment. So in the browser tab you're working on. So my aim is to provide a seamless experience. So whatever it is, your workflow, you are able to plug in the AI and perform specific
1: writing tasks. To use your model with uh, your product here, do the consumers need to know about prompt engineering or is that, or are you talking about prompt engineering and if you're going to develop the app, you need to know prompt engineering, obviously.
3: Yeah, that, that's a very good point. So um, the goal here is to provide a super user-friendly interface. So the user um, doesn't need to know anything about prompt engineering, but the application is going to gotcha. provide the, the, the best prompt possible for the specific context. So just to give you an example, if you are on Twitter and a user wants to generate a new tweet using AI, um, I don't tell to the AI, just create a tweet. I try to perform, to create a prompt right. and provide a prompt that is more, more specific. You know, there is a specific format. Um, sometimes you use emojis as well at the end of the sentences and so on.
1: Only if you're cool. You only use emojis if you're cool, right? I mean, (laughs) It depends on your style.
0: (laughs) Tell me you have some logic in there that strips out all the uh, hashtags that uh, ChatGTP tries to generate when you tell it to build a tweet. Yeah, so the first instruction is
3: remove hashtags, please. (laughs) I don't want them. They're not using them very much. So they look quite spammy, isn't it?
2: Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, GRX Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people hand-picked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show.
1: Yeah, I I like the way you're talking about prompt engineering. And, And I dropped a few, we dropped a couple dozen links, I think, into the show notes, folks. So definitely check these out as we're bringing up these topics. What I like about this is we're bringing kind of the merger of AI into web development uh, as we talk about these pieces. So you've got standard web development we do with React, which has been around for more than 10 years. And then you've got, you know, the next JS evolution. And now you've got all these AI APIs. I pause to say that AI APIs (laughs) that we can use. OpenAI being the one that you've chosen to use that's out there. Um, But one of the keys with these APIs is prompt engineering, which is a discipline that I don't think many people ever heard of until about six months ago. So I'd love it if you could talk a bit more, Luca, about the idea of like, what is, in your experience, the most important thing to know for developers building applications about prompt engineering?
3: Good point. I think that prompt engineering is now a new discipline, probably even a new um, job position, if you want. OpenAI and ChatGPT, in this case, for instance, is so, um, so powerful that by giving specific instructions, which are these so-called prompts, are going to give you incredible results. Um, because the AI could impersonate a specific role. So you can look at it like, you know, uh, role games or board games in which you, the AI can assume different uh, personalities and characteristics. So by providing a prompt that is very specific, um, you can recreate specific um, use cases and in, improve your creativity or have new, new inputs that are very, very valuable. It's like having an, an assistant, which is a very... Um, knowledgeable about specific domains. And these domains are very are several different domains.
1: You know, I don't think, I don't know if this is right, Luca, but the way I've been thinking about this, and I'll just kind of put myself out there. With prompt engineering is for years with Google search and Bing search, we, we've often know if you break down how we ask questions, like there's a skill, there's a talent in the way you put the words for the search. My experience with like a search engine, the words I enter are the important things, the things that I enter. How I say them is not important. Like I can even put them in not in sentence format, for example, and it will figure out what I'm looking for. However, it's not a conversation, right? And, and something my parents told me when I was younger is always stuck in my head for a lot of reasons. That is, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. That didn't apply to like a, a Google search. However, with prompt engineering, I think it's both of those things. It's what you say, the words you're using, and the way that you phrase them in prompt engineering is helping you get a better conversation back from the, the AI engine. It, this is kind of something I've just been thinking about the last couple of weeks. Do you, do you feel like that's similar to your experience?
3: Yes, absolutely. Um, you can have entire and complex conversations with this kind of um, AI, <clears throat> And they they process natural language in an incredible way, so yeah, the the results can be really impressive. And the the kind of interaction that you have is 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 different. I completely agree with you that it's uh, a kind of combination between um, searching on a on a search engine mixed with trying to give expressive um, sentences to, to a machine actually. Um, and the more expressive is your communication to the AI, the more is, you know, elaborated and, um, uh, the, the output. So the, the response from the AI.
1: And it has memory too, right? So you can start a conversation and then it can remember the context of where you came from for these APIs. Whereas a Google search, if I type the wrong thing in the search and I, and I just say, oh, I meant the red one in the next search, it's gonna be like, what the heck is that? <laughs> what does that mean, right? So um, I think the context or this using a word that Ward likes to use a lot, the state, right? Like the state of the application, it's remembering where you were in this world. See, everything links back to state, Word. It's
2: all about state. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I I know that this is we are straying from Next.js and stuff like that. So we're really going to have to have a, a session on this. Um, but I can't resist saying that um, so much of what I've seen so far has been sort of this general improving the general nature of a conversation that could go anywhere. And the thing that I've been trying to puzzle in my mind for the last month or so is so how do I. I, you know what if what I want to do is put this to use in a very specific domain and context let's say I'm a garbage collection company right and I want to help um, <clears throat> my customers uh, uh, get what they need from my garbage collection company right I want the conversation to be about about my company my garbage collection I don't want it to be answer, uh, to be saying uh, please give me a, a haiku. On picking up garbage on Tuesdays, right? So uh, i want I want them to to stay in the box and yet to have that um, the power of uh, open AI and large language models working on it. So that's what I'm hoping we'll g- get to at some point. Uh, that was kind of where I was going when I was asking you the question, Luke, about what what, if anything, you're doing in terms of constraining, where if you were if you were probing that question not that's the only thing to uh, uh, to do but i was just wondering if you were diving in there and if so how what technologies you were using to weave that into Next.js and react so we should that's my circuitous way of saying let's pop back and talk a little bit more <laughs> about why why uh well react is pretty obvious um what about Next.js and why? Why bother?
3: Yeah, and I mean Next.js. Um, I think I mentioned that you can you can build everything in one in one place, right? So the whole um, stack of your of your web, web application is hosted in one single service. But by the way, I think they have one of the um, most efficient ways to um, to deploy an application because you just need to connect your GitHub repository. You select the technology that you're using, the framework, so they don't support only Next.js, but also other, other frameworks like Vue and so on. You click the button and you have a CI in the cloud that is going to compile your repository and host it. And it's, I mean, it's, it's an incredible um, experience to have. So in five minutes, you have your web application hosted somewhere. At that point, you just configure your, your domain and your, your website is live.
2: Are you So this is great. I mean, there's a lot of these great tools for the individual, the hacker, developer, experimenter that you're describing. Uh, and all of the advantages you just described are really very important to that individual developer because we only have so much time. Right. Um, are you using the same tool set for your, uh, business clients and does it have, is, are those value points for your business clients or, or does this stuff survive the scaling up to, uh, the needs of a larger business enterprise that's going to have multiple people over many years?
3: That's a very good question because, um, Let's say that at the moment I didn't didn't scale um, a service that much using you know Next.js and Vercel and so on. So I had I think around 1,500 users in in total, not using the application at the same time. So um, for scaling is definitely something that I, I don't have experience on. But I mean the serverless um, infrastructure should I mean should potentially scale. And sustain a, a bigger, a big traffic. Um, of course, it depends on the service that you're using. So AWS um, is scaling very well. Um, the prices scale um, as a consequence. Um, versal, the service that I'm using, uh, they have. It's interesting because they have a kind of um, limits on the bandwidth, for instance. So you need to be very, very careful to not um, to not exceed those limits. Uh, otherwise you are built you are built um a lot. So not not linearly but
1: a bit more. So if, if I follow you, Luca, then you're using Vercel to host the Next.js React website. You're using AWS for Dynamo DB. And are you using AWS Lambda on AWS for serverless functions or are you using those that are built into Vercel?
3: <laughs> I use um I use all of them. So okay. basically for for the Chrome. I also have some cron jobs, let's say, so okay. scheduled scheduled functions, and I host them on um, on AWS because Versa at that time didn't have the scheduled cron um, um, functions. Right. Um, so yeah, I use both. I combine, combine them both.
1: It's an interesting problem though, because like I think you're right. You know, you said out loud what a lot of us run into eventually with this cloud model is that yes, serverless scales well, but to a point. There, there's a I think there's a point in my experience, too, it, it's you're getting to it's like you can scale up and scale down. You only pay for what you use. Yes. But then there gets to a certain point where you're using so much of it. So much is happening that maybe it's better to have something dedicated uh, and finding out what that point is. It's not always clear, like from the get go, because it, it it takes answers to questions you don't have about how many users will I have? Uh, how much traffic will there be? What times a day is it happening How many are simultaneous? Is Ward Bell just sitting there pressing, you know, refresh on the browser all day using my application? (laughs) These are things that we all want to know. (laughs) I'm glad you're bringing these up. It's a good point.
0: Well, as you're splitting things up uh, among the different options and different technologies, what what are you seeing? Are is like better suited for different aspects of your app. So like, what does the cron job thing do versus what does a, a different serverless function do?
3: Uh, they, they do, yeah. I mean, they do almost the same the same stuff. Um, but on, on the next year's project, the function is um, is an API basically, so it's a backend endpoint. Um, while I um a cron job. Lambda, it's I mean, it's the same thing, actually. Um, But it's executed at a scheduled time, right? But functionally, they they are the same, exactly the same thing. So
1: So they're both like doing HTTP backend calls. Just one is scheduled and one is activated by the user. Is that what I'm hearing?
3: Yeah, it's different the trigger, as you said. Yeah, you're right. Different trigger. Yeah, 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 different trigger. So uh, using the HTTP protocol, if it is the um, the backend endpoint. Well, in AWS, there is a mechanism to trigger the Lambda functions. So um, AWS is taking care of um, invoking that, the function. Actually, I don't know which is the protocol that they're using. That's the interesting thing. You, you don't need to,
1: to know that. That's kind of nice, isn't it? When you don't actually need to know. <laughs> All the details <laughs> so wh- where do you see yourself going next you, you have all these
0: different uh, apps and uh implemented like is there another next big feature that you're looking at uh implementing in one of them
3: that's a, that's a good question I, I don't think i have technological um challenges at the moment i have more challenges you know on the on the product, product marker feed side <laughs> so i'm gonna focus on that first and then eventually on the technological um, challenges. But I have to say, um, I mean, until you, your, your product really scales, you're not going to have really big challenges from a technical standpoint. So, uh, yeah, keep it easy.
1: <laughs> I like that. That's a good point. And I want to bring us into the final thoughts for our audience. This is the segment of the show where we share final thoughts on topic or off topic. And I'm always looking forward to hearing what Ward Bell will share with the audience. His last couple have just been mind-numbingly amazing. (laughs) Drink that one in, folks. Ward, what is your final thought for the audience today? uh, It's probably more
2: mind-melting or mind-eating, as in a... Is a parasitic worm. Um,
1: (laughs) Parasitic worm?
2: Man, the visuals that you paint. (laughs) Yes, well, uh, this is the time when we start thinking about brain
0: decay. What? Two o'clock? That's the time we start thinking about brain decay? You guys are head-on into important nap
2: time. Important. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, John, I... My mind is really on not being on this uh, podcast for a few weeks because I am about to head for Luca's country, where, uh, but I won't be in Lake Como. I'll be at the opposite end. I'll be down in Sicily. Uh, And I am so looking forward to not having any computers in, in my pocket except for my phone, I guess, but, uh, Do you
1: normally keep computers in your pocket? Like,
2: I do, you know, and I keep trying to take <laughs> that, that big old sucker and squish it. And the funny thing about that, you Remember those I,
1: huge jeans
0: in the nineties? Yeah, Ward exactly. all Cargo of them. Cargo pants. <laughs> no, you know, you know, I've had
2: trouble with my Mac. And so I put it in the crash compactor to see if I could get it small enough to fit. And, uh, it did not improve the functioning of my Mac. Um, seriously, uh, Uh, You know, this is all about uh, uh, sharpening the axe by doing
1: something completely different. So that's my thought. That's my thought. I'm having FOMO, but you got to share, what city or area are you going to in Sicily? I'll be biking
2: near Palermo when I'm in the south, uh, in the western part of Sicily. I'll start in Venice, a few days in Venice. Then I will regroup. This is with family. And uh, we will bicycle in
1: uh, uh in croatia along uh, i'm looking forward to seeing how you bicycle from venice to sicily because
2: that'll it, be interesting actually, <laughs> we'll, no
1: uh, that, that one that would take some time ward, ward is a superhuman rock star at biking everybody <laughs> i'm just teasing you you know that
2: <laughs> yeah yeah that's it uh, Though so anyway, I'm sorry. That's where my brain is uh, today. Uh, so I wish you all uh, uh, luck on the next three podcasts.
1: That that's excellent, and you're you're making me think about it's time to plan a vacation. Uh, Luca, uh, are you going to welcome Ward in your home? And you don't have to answer that question when he comes and visits, but you do have to tell us what is your final thought for the audience.
3: Um, final thought, and really, really on topic. So um, we we talked about serverless environments, right? So um, a funny story, once I, I had a spike in, in usage in, in a Lambda function, and I thought that I've been hacked, oh, of course I've been hacked, so there's someone that is attacking my services, it turned out that it was one of my, one of my functions that was in a kind of loop, yes, mm. because it was invoked, it was um, failing and not returning a response. So it was, this was a queue, actually calling the same function over and over and over. Oh, man. So a station.
1: <laughs> and Craig, your final thought for the audience today. So my final thoughts are uh,
0: a couple sort of related things. So for the other half of this conversation, I haven't brought it up here before yet, but I have another podcast that I run that I had an opportunity to talk to Luca about. Um, so the title of our show uh is Building an Entrepreneurial Future with Luca Rastano. And so if you get a chance to check that out, that kind of talks about his journey as an indie hacker and building some of these businesses and services. And then I put up a new one today um, with uh, all about AI with Rob Lennon, who is launching a podcast where his co-host is an AI counterpart. But it's not kind of what you would think. You get to hear her voice come through and he's got some really interesting and innovative uh thinking on how to use ai and so uh they're in the show notes so a just, counterpart like his co-host is that a real it's like his co-host is an ai
1: we call so, them co-hosts on this show w- craig makes up strange words like counterpart so anger blarbin <laughs> i was lost for a moment too thank you for clarifying that word um no, that, that's a good point. I'm glad you plugged your podcast. You've had it for a while now, haven't you, Craig?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm up to 13 whole episodes.
1: So I started uh, in November of last year. That's awesome. I have two final thoughts to share today that are uh, somewhat on topic here. One of them is the Azure OpenAI service. So there's the there's OpenAI, uh, which is what the topic what we were talking about today was quite a bit about. But There's also Azure OpenAI service. And I put a link into the show notes so you can check this out. There's a subtle difference, and for those of you who aren't aware, uh, Microsoft owns Azure, uh, the open AI, their OpenAI service, but Microsoft also invests as a, uh, into the OpenAI service as well. But there's some differences and things you can check out, definitely see which one is right for you in those. But the other aspect is, I'm seeing more and more experimentations on people using AI on social media lately. And a couple of groups have done this intentionally, not to trick people, but to show people how easy it is for you to get tricked. So keep an eye out for these things, especially where, uh, you know, it's governmental agencies or anything important that, you know, news, um, politics um, or your favorite sports team. I, I don't know. Like it could be the possibilities are endless. But I saw recently one where they took Joe Biden's voice uh, and used an AI for his voice and basically made him say a lot of things that he wouldn't normally say uh, in in into like a short 30 second commercial on social media. And it was done by a group basically saying, look, it can happen to anybody. So it's something you have to be uh, looking out for. But it's something we have to be careful of because it's getting so good that it's hard to discern at times. Uh, And I feel like we all have a responsibility to make sure that we have that open mind and that we are helping educate and bring to light and question things for people who maybe haven't been exposed to that yet and just don't know what's out there. So a little bit of a serious moment. Responsible AI is important. Pay attention.
2: You know what, John? I mean, I really, uh, you know, there's an awful lot going on on that. But one of the things I haven't seen, maybe you have seen it, is shouldn't Shouldn't anything produced by should it be a rule everywhere that if it's produced by one of these bots, that it should identify as that instead of, like you know, with caveats and everything. Like uh, you know, I think we've got to start thinking about.
1: that guys are really good at following rules. Well, yeah, um, I, I, I'm with the award, and I think we should have a whole episode on responsible yeah, AI because that's stuff. a great topic. It's uh, we'll do it while you're away in Sicily, of course. Um, <laughs> no, but we'll come back to it. It, it. You're right; it's huge. I'm even seeing now, like in the politics, governments are trying to, to figure out what do you do about it. Do you do watermarks? What do you do? How can you govern this? Should they even govern it? Who knows? Um, it'll be interesting well, to see.
2: Well, but to a certain degree, just just a counter to what Craig was saying is the one thing you can't do is do this in your own in your own pocket, right? It's services that have to pre- big. This is not. Uh, As far as I know, we're not yet able to put these huge models and these huge capabilities in a standalone box that I have at my house, right? It it requires services, big services, and those services have to behave responsibly. So I think there is a choke point, at least for now. Anyway, we'll get to that.
1: Yes, and it's very timely because I just did a quick Google search because I I heard the news this week that. The White House in the United States, they're meeting with Microsoft and Google CEOs on AI dangers like this week, like right now. So they won't solve anything because that's not how things work in the world (laughs) right away. But at least they're having the conversations. And what I'm hearing is that Joe Biden should invite Ward Bell to that meeting. Uh
2: Uh, No, I think, you know, when when a guy... As storied as Hinton is, as Hinton, I can't remember his name. Uh, quits Google so that he can talk about this. That uh, you know, and all the people. You
1: know, this is this is serious business. Yeah.
2: Um, and I don't know what we can a- add to that conversation, but we can, we can uh, try.
1: We can, we can. And for those of you out there, kind of getting up on AI, there's a lot going on out there. We'll continue to inject bits of AI into our podcast as we move forward. Uh, this is all about the web, obviously, and we talk about these topics, but. It's really neat to see how we can use AI in the web. And I really appreciate you, Luca, for coming on today and sharing with us how you're not only using modern web technologies and building real products with uh, Next.js and React and AWS and Serverless and DynamoDB, but also how you're thinking about how do you use AI with all this? Because I'm sure a lot of other listeners out there are thinking about this, too. I want to thank you all, listeners, for listening to us for all these episodes. We appreciate your support and keeping us moving along. We've got lots of great guests coming up for the next couple of months. We're booked out for about three months for recording the podcast with a lot of great topics and evolving all the time. And I want to thank our sponsors for keeping us on the air, AG Grid, Narwhal, and IdeaBlade. Hey, y'all, you have a great time with WebRush. You all have a great time with AI, and we'll see you next time.